0: Guys, welcome back to another episode of the Precision Rifle Network Podcast. This is number 17. I'm glad you're here. Please take a minute to follow the affiliate links below every video on the YouTube page whenever you think about it. Check out that gear, and uh, if you would, consider purchasing. That helps the channel out a little bit. I get a tiny kickback, and there's some great gear options on there if you haven't seen those yet. Um, announcing today, and it should come out public if it's not already from their end, but I have a new title sponsor for the podcast and the YouTube channel in general, and that is Secure It Gun Storage. And so shout out to them. It's going to be a great partnership. Really looking forward to reviewing some of their products for you guys, hopefully offering good discount on their products to you guys. So let's launch right in with the content though here. Um, I've got a number of things to talk about i um, probably going to start out with the centerfire match that I shot about two weeks ago and um, just give you kind of a breakdown of that uh, because it was the first time I have shot a centerfire match in over a year. So there were some things learned <laughs> from that. Um, and then also just a tidbit on barricade bags, piggybacking off of that. And then the big thing that's been on my mind um, for the last couple of weeks is preparation for the Team Safari match in New Mexico put on by Competition Dynamics. And that's a team sniper field match, kind of a, a match. I've never done anything like this. I've never done a partner competition. I've never done a competition out west, period. So this will be brand new experience for me. So that's it, that's what we're covering today. Let's launch in. So we have this range here in Missouri, it is called the Missouri Mile, and the range owner, uh, Julian, uh, is a good dude, uh, ex-military, and uh, he moved up here from Texas and bought a, a good chunk of land um, in kind of a, a hilly region of the Lake of the Ozarks. And what I really like about his his range, and consequently the match, is that all the shooting positions are up off of this, this main ridge line on his property. And then the property kind of falls down through these valleys and up the other sides of valleys, you know, to farther ridge lines. And what I like about it is that, you know, there's some terrain to look at. Uh, You're shooting out across these valleys, the winds switch down through there. And so it's just much better practice for wind calling and making shots in those types of natural terrain um, that we don't usually get on, you know, a, a perfectly square range uh, that's kind of you know cut through a, a channel in the woods that's protected, so which is you know common for here in the the Midwest. So I really am liking the Missouri Mile um, Shooting Range, and so he's been having pretty regular, uh, you know, regional matches there. And I attended the one um, a couple of weekends ago. And, you know, to my surprise, there was, you know, quite a few people there and um, a good handful of kind of the best shooters in Missouri. I think I can easily say that the guys that were there are typically at the top of all of the Missouri matches and, and the regional matches around here. They also compete in, you know, PRS two-day type stuff. And so, you know, pro-level shooters. Um, Not elite, probably, pro-level shooters, but pro-level shooters nonetheless. And um, so I got there and everybody's like, who are you? And, of course, teasing me, you know, and – and i'm like yeah 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 i know it's been a while and we were just thinking back some of the guys were like man it's probably been over a year and i got to thinking back i was like yeah it it has been it's been it was a year and a couple of months since the last centerfire match i had done because you know through covid and 2020 2021 all that kind of stuff i did very few centerfire matches at all i was doing 22 long rifle stuff because it was just you know it's closer to home it was cheaper nobody was going out and about all that much and so um yeah i was doing 22 matches so it had been a while and you know not not since i had shot but obviously when i just go out to the range um you know by myself or something I, i'm going to a square range i'm laying down prone i'm not really practicing positional all that much um and and you know i'm not on the clock or anything like that and so i thought ah, i'm going to I'm going to bomb this match, but I need to get out and get a centerfire match under my belt. And um, I expected to probably finish mid-pack, and I was just ready to deal with that <laughs> because it's my own dang fault for not shooting center fire matches in quite a while. Well, I, I won't say that I surprised myself um, with my placement because, you know, when I go to a, a match, my mental – my mental place, like the place I like to live at a match, is to expect good things from myself. Like I I'm guilty of repeating, and this is just part of my mental game. I'll I'll repeat over and over throughout the day in my head, just to remind myself and be like, You're a good shooter. You have the ability to finish on the podium, if not win this match. And I will say that to myself throughout the match. I know it seems a little silly, but it's better than you know, being super negative with yourself and thinking you're going to lose all the time. So (laughs) anyway, um, so I ended up finishing third place, technically. Well, the first two guys tied, I mean, a perfect tie for first place. So in that sense, I got second. But um, if everybody has to have a place and and nobody can share first, well, then I got third but um I was very pleased with that you know um there there were some notable errors on my part um that that really came down to wind calls through that terrain um I was only four points off of the two leaders, and I can tell you exactly where I dropped those four points there was um these five or four or five positions, I think five positions off of these big logs on the end of the property on a 600 and some yard uh, plate that was kind of diagonal across the valley. And most of the rest of the targets that we'd been shooting all day, we were running perpendicular to the valley. So we were shooting across it and I kind of had that wind dialed. And then when we went down to the other end, I was having to deal with shooting at a very much different angle across the valley. Um, and also the wind in that spot, it, I think the best I could tell, we had three completely different pretty strong winds, um, across that, across that shot. And a lot of people were missing, um, you know, the the stage or the uh, group in front of us were like, Hey, good luck with this one, guys. So, you know, um, wasn't just me, but that's where I dropped. I think I dropped four points on that stage, three or four points. And so, you know, that took me out of maybe out of it being a three-way tie. It was funny. It was funny the way that they, uh, that they settled the, the tiebreaker was not with a timed stage or anything like that. This time they, they settled that tiebreaker was through rock, paper, scissors. And I think I put a little the short video of it up on my Instagram if you want to go see that. But I thought that was pretty funny. It doesn't have to be a shoot off or some fancy thing. Like just have some fun out there. Like that's what I took away from that. Um, the match was great. I I just I'm really liking the uh, I'm really liking that range. It's just a really good mix of challenging positions and size of targets. Nothing is too too small and. I would say, at least on one stage, there were these barrels, and I think the shot was probably 400 and change yards away. Even though the position wasn't super stable, the shot was very protected from the wind, and I want to say that was probably a a 10 or 12-inch plate, like a 3 MOA plate, and that could have been probably you know, a two MOA plate to make that a little bit. And even then it was probably pretty forgiving, at least on that one stage. But for the most part, I mean, the vast majority of the rest of the positions, it was great positional, appropriately sized targets. It was just, it was really good. Um There was a long range troop line, which usually eat my lunch, but this time I got really good. I think I only dropped one or two shots on the long range troop line. It started at something like... 950 or something like that on a coyote and it went out to 1100 and change and um I was I was on man I was just hammering those and um <clears throat> you know I did go out to that range probably a week before the match um and I zeroed my my competition gun, which is, uh, if you're not, if you haven't watched my videos and all you do is listen to this, you may not know, but I run a Terminus Zeus action. Um, it's got a Bartland barrel that is chambered in six GT and sitting in an MDT ACC chassis. I run zero comp glass Atlas bipod, EC tuner brake from Eric Cortina. Um, so I went out and I zeroed, uh, everything and ran my numbers, my data card and everything about a week prior to this match out there. And it was hammering then, and it was hammering during the match. And uh, I was shooting factory Hornady ammunition. So it's the it's got the 109s in it, the 6GT with 109s. <clears throat> and man, I mean, it can shoot better than I can, you know what I mean? And very low uh, SDs and extreme spreads that are you know in the teens maybe low 20s but that's that's better than I can shoot you know what i mean at those distances the i'm going to miss because of a wind call or something like that before the ammo is going to be too inconsistent to hit so i bought like 3 or 4 cases of that ammo when it was available because i just wanted to have it you know for the rest of probably that barrel life um it ran great i had no problem ended up finishing, like I say, second or third, however, however however you want to look at that. Um, so a good, a good reintroduction to centerfire matches, um, here in Missouri. I, I, you know, I have no real desire to shoot any more precision rifle series type of two day competitions. There is just, it's just too, it's, if you go and everybody that I talk to still, I mean, literally every single person that I have talked to and maybe my circle's too small, I'm saying every single one that I have talked to, like, how, how did you feel about that? Like, you know, was there, you know, did people seem like they were having fun or whatever? And everybody was like, every single person like, nope, everybody seems grumpy all the time. Everybody's stressed out. Everybody's in just like hardcore competition mode and nobody's really having any fun. And I was like, yep, see that coupled with the, you know, about every other week we can expect some sort of drama. I'm just kind of done with it really done with it. And I'm shifting my focus to these field matches. You know, um, This team's far is going to be my first real field match. And this next year I'll be doing some NRL Hunters and I'll be doing some more of the the competition dynamics matches. Probably fewer centerfire matches throughout the year, but the ones that I do do will be these field style competitions. And I'm, that and Guardian matches. And I'm just really looking forward to to that. So, um, one thing I wanted to touch base was something I saw at the match that, you know, just kind of surprised me still. And I guess, and it wasn't just new shooters. It was some kind of, you know, mid-level and even experienced people. As I was just watching people like position their barricade bags, like their game changer or their wee bad fortune cookie or whatever they use on the barricades, I would see people just, it's almost like they don't, they haven't figured out on let's say a tank trap, how best to place their bag on a tank trap. It's almost like they've never shot a tank trap before, but I know these people have, have shot many matches and probably have encountered tank traps before. And it wasn't just tank traps. It was tank traps. It was barrels. It was, you know, rungs of, of steel structures. It was off of rocks and posts and you name it. I saw a number of people that would it's like they're farting around with their, their barricade bag, not understanding how best to, to put that bag on each of these different props. And I would just say if that, if you, if you feel like that's you, if that's hitting home a little bit for you, um, stop it. I, <laughs> I, that what you need to do is, is I know that's not helpful, but what the helpful part is you need to go to the range and not just lay prone and figure out whether or not, Your your drop data is good to a thousand yards yet again. Like your drop data is fine after the fourteenth time. Like go to the range with some with some props or take props with you. Whether it's a ladder or a barrel or a chair, I don't care. Take something with you and practice your positional with your barricade bag. Understand how best to lay that barricade bag. So that you're doing it the same way every time. It'll just be way more efficient. You'll be faster on the clock. It'll be just less time farting around with the bag trying to figure out what's the best position to, to place that bag. Um, you know, generally speaking, if it's some sort of a bar or a two by four that's horizontal, or a um, you know, like a like a a post or a a tank trap, something with an angle like that, you're going to use the angled or kind of underside or bottom portion of your barricade bag because it kind of wraps around and pinches those types of surfaces. That's the way that it's designed to be used. Now, if you have somewhat of a very flat surface, um, like the top of a of a bench or you know, something like that or, or, a, or a roughly flat rock or a big, a big post, a post that's like 10, eight or 10 inches around, you should be laying your barricade bag flat on its side so that you can get more surface area. These are, these are well-known techniques and they, generally speaking, I think I can speak for a lot of pro shooters, it works the best. It, you want the most amount of surface area and the most stability for your rifle as possible. Another little tip that I can give you is make sure you're not just throwing that bag down and it's got some weird curve in it to where when you lay your, your stock or your chassis down on the barricade bag, your, ba- your gun is kind of tipping. You don't just assume that just because you threw that barricade bag down and then you put your rifle on it, that it's a stable position. Like you need to put the barricade bag down and then you need to flatten it, like bang on it a little bit with your hand or whatever to make sure that you've got a nice little channel or a flat spot for that rifle to sit in with, with the most amount of, of surface area and contact with the bottom of your rifle to that barricade bag. You'll be a lot happier, trust me. So yeah, that's, that's it. Go practice with your barricade bags, please, and get more efficient. That would, that would help you a ton. You'll be a happier happier camper. Shooter, rather. Moving on uh, to the last thing I want to talk about for today, and that is my preparation for the Team Safari match um, in New Mexico. That is coming up this weekend. Um, You might be listening to this podcast at about the time I'm getting ready to shoot the match towards the end of the week. I actually leave tomorrow. Tomorrow will be Wednesday, the 12th of October. I'll be leaving tomorrow um, to head out there. There's a mandatory shooters meeting uh, on the evening of Thursday and so I got to be out there from Missouri here it's about a 12 hour drive and a lot of people would do that all in one day I'm not that guy I can't do that anymore so I drive a I drive a minivan which you know is which I'll give you a minute to stop laughing all right if you're all done laughing at my minivanness um, I drive a minivan now and I actually really like it it holds all my gear all the rear seats, all the seats actually behind the driver's level all fold flat down into the floor. And so I take like a, a cot and and a, and a sleeping bag and I can camp in there, you know, at a truck stop or something like that. And I don't like to drive 12 hour stretches. So I'll drive, you know, eight or nine hours, something like that. And then I'll finish up the drive the next day and it helps me not have to pay for hotels and stuff like that too. So I like to camp out and that helps me. So I'll be leaving. Uh, tomorrow, and I will get there on Thursday. Mandatory meeting on Thursday. I believe we can zero on Thursday, so I'm hoping to to get the rifle. Just you know, shoot a few times out there, and make sure that my zero is still on. I'm hoping we get to shoot a little farther than a hundred yards. Like I know that like square range portion where they would have a zero. I know there's berms out to like 300. There at Blue Steel, I'm hoping they allow us to do that because I would really like to be able to at least true out to that distance and just make sure that it's lining up with my Kestrel and all that kind of stuff and that I get the, the elevation and the DA and all that set. Because then that night at the hotel, I'm actually sharing a hotel room with my my partner and uh, he's travel, traveling from out in like Pennsylvania area and um, – so that night at the hotel, I will take the time to go through my my range card on my Kestrel and I'll write out my my hard data cards on my armboard for different uh, density altitudes or, or elevations so that I'll have you know three or four different hard data cards to go off of for the weekend um. And and that'll be very helpful if if they can if they allow us to you know zero at slightly different yardages than just a simple hundred yard zero there. So but we'll see. If I have to go somewhere else out in the desert and you know shoot at a rock or something that's six hundred yards away on a cliffside, I will do that too. I just want to make sure that out there in that environment, I I know that things haven't changed. You know coming up from. From Missouri here, it really shouldn't change all that much, but you know, it's just little dumb things we worry about. Um, so gear. Let me talk about some of the gear I'm taking. So, you know, my gear for a PRS match is what I've been carrying in my pack um, for a while, and I've had I've always taken uh, a heavy Schmedium game changer. If you're not familiar with that, it's like the heavy sand fill thing. weighs like eight or nine pounds. I don't even know. It's crazy heavy. I usually carry that. And I usually carry a separate, uh, specific rear bag. Um, that's just a a standard, you know, bean, bean bag type fill rear bag. And I have a ditty bag of, of tools that I take with me. And I have another one that's got gloves and sling and my Kestrel and some pens and things like that in it. Um, take my my binoculars and the mount for that. Um, yeah, I typically take of course my ammo and uh, you know, water and snacks and all that kind of stuff. Usually I have a tripod with me, a small camera, We'd be you know, being the precision rifle network thing. And so just stuff that is changing this time around is that I'm really trying to because we have to hike and shoot out here. It's not a, a hugely physical fitness, what am I trying to say? The fact that I'm out of shape and overweight should not matter as much at this match because it is just a little bit of, you know, hiking. It's not serious hiking. It's you know maybe up to three miles each day at a leisurely pace. It shouldn't be that difficult. Um, I I know myself. I know that I'm in at least good enough shape to handle that. Um, but I, at any rate, I'm still cut trying to cut weight on my gear. I'm still taking the same Eberly stock. Uh, mainframe pack which is a a tubular frame pack that has like this big wide open um, duffel bag type thing that zips on to the outside of it and so then there's just this big open pack that I can shove all my stuff into. Uh, The pack itself probably weighs three and a half four pounds something like that. I switched from that heavy fill medium bag to the normal or standard fill Schmedium game changer, which cut about half that weight. So now I've got four or five pounds in a in a barricade bag instead of closer to 10. Um, I am going to be using the Schmedium game changer as my rear bag this time, which you can do. It's just that if you listen to anything I have to say about fundamentals of marksmanship or anything like that, I like using a... Rear bag that is specifically designed for shooting prone. Back to uh, back to the sh- the, I switched the game changer. I'm going to be using that sh- medium uh, normal fill for my rear bag during this match um, on prone positions, and I will use it on any kind of positional shot where I need to just balance the rifle on that. Um, I'm also let's see. I am. I would normally, like I say, run a little ditty bag in my in my pack that has my game or I'm sorry, my Kestrel in it and a little arm board. And I'm still using Kestrel and arm board, but my arm board now is going to have hard data cards on it with my dope. I will not be thumbing through the Kestrel, you know, on every stage for each of the individual yardages that I have to shoot. You just simply don't have time. You have five or six minutes on the clock in order to, to get all your hits. Plus your partner has to go, um, you know, there's, there's just not enough time to be doing that. So you need to run hard data cards. So I'm doing all that in a like a chest rig type of a pack. And um, my plan then is – well, that's a procedure. Let me just continue talking about the gear and then I'll switch to the procedure. But um, I am going to be – usually my, binoc- my binoculars are stowed away inside my pack. And this time the binos uh, and the mount are going to live on my tripod – I have a cover from Coltac that's made for binoculars. I'm going to leave that on so they just protect them from getting dusty and scratched up and things like that. But um, basically, you can you can carry your gear. However, you carry your gear from stage to stage is how is how you're allowed to start the stage. So, so for instance, why would I, you know, my rifle has to be slung across my body anyway. So if my rifle is going to be carried that way. Why would I take the extra time to fold down my tripod, take the bipod, take the binos off of it every single time, and you know, stash that stuff inside the pack? That doesn't make any sense. I'm just going to leave the binos attached to the tripod and carry it up, you know, partially, uh, partially collapsed, uh, you know, in my hand up to the stage every single time because all these stages are done blind and you know, moving into the procedural stuff here, all these stages are done blind. Let's say you might stay back, you know, in the trees somewhere 50 yards away from the firing line and you wait there until the RO comes to get you when it's your turn. And he'll lead you up to the position. It'll say, you know, if it's a, there's two different types of, of positions in this in this match. There's, there's a one by six and there's a two by three. And so there's six targets on every stage, and uh, there might be just one position where you have to shoot all six targets from that one position, or there might be two positions where you have to shoot three of the targets from one of the positions and three of the targets from the other position. And so the RO will bring you up to the stage and he will say, here's your first position, you see it, yes. Here's your second position, you see it, yes. Here's your left limit. It's usually marked by a stake with some sort of tape on it. Here's your right limit. Again, a stake or something. And so it creates this V, right, this wedge that goes out into the the field, into the distance. Your targets will be inside that wedge at whatever distance. He'll be like, do you understand the the positions and your left and right limit? You're like, yes. He's like, okay, time starts now. And then, boom, that's it. So you got to be ready to go as soon as he says that. There's no like – There's really no time for asking questions or anything like that is my understanding. Now, I'll know more after I actually go compete, but um, that sounds like, oh, crap, here we are. We're already on the clock. And by the time I set my pack down and I get my binoculars set up and I'm spotting for targets, 30 seconds is already gone, you know, or 20 seconds if I'm fast. But so I thought I'm going to have my tripod already out and somewhat set up. So then I the very first thing I'm going to do when I get to the stage is set my tripod down and and you know get it get it stood up probably f- at full height because what I'm told is some of these targets end up being at really close range like right down at the bottom of a valley or something in front of you and most people get up to these stages and they're like oh this is a long range match well the targets are going to be out there somewhere so they'll hide close targets like down in front of you and if you were to go down on a, on a knee or even down prone to try to spot these targets, you might not see the ones that are down close. So I'm going to do everything standing as far as spotting for targets and everything. And, and the very first thing I'm going to do is is you know get the tripod and the binoculars going. And in my chest rig, of course, I'll, I'll open that up and I've got these little cards where I will draw out the ranges of my, my binoculars are the uh, SIG Kilo 10Ks and so they've got you know, good glass where you can see everything and they've also got the range finder built in. So I will hopefully be able to find targets. Uh, that's always a challenge I'm told at this match. So I will try and find those targets, uh, immediately and write down the distances. Um, and while I'm doing that, my partner has to lay down with a gas gun and start shooting. He has unlimited rounds to hit three of the targets. So, he's going to lay down immediately and just spot what he can spot with his naked eye and through his his own glass and he's going to start trying to hit his targets immediately and he's going to be tr- paying attention to his wind and the wind call to try to give me a decent, you know, little bit of information on the wind call when it comes to be my turn. But I'm writing down all those things and then on my arm board on my on my hard data card, you know, let's say I find a a target at 300 yards. I'm putting a little mark by my 300. I find a target at 450. I'm putting a mark by the 450. I find a target at 600. You get the idea. And so I have a, a hard data card frame of reference. Um, and there's no messing around with the Kestrel or anything like that. That being said, I will still take the time to, to get a wind call reading off of the Kestrel. Um, I think that's a, I just, you know, I guess it comes down to confidence. I'm not I'm not as confident in just looking at the vegetation out there. Like if, if one of these matches happen happened here in Missouri, I wouldn't need my kestrel probably. I'd be able to, to judge the wind and the direction just based on the on the vegetation that I'm used to seeing, but I'm not used to it out there. And so this is gonna be a, a new challenge. Um, but that's that's gonna be kind of the procedure. And what I'm told is is most people struggle with Number one, finding the targets, and number two, getting all their shots off before they run out of time. People time out a lot. And so I think the more efficient that my partner and I can be um, with just those procedural things from the moment we say go to you know just laying down and taking first shots and communicating with each other, mm-hmm. You know, I think we'll do a little bit better if uh, if that's the case. And neither one of us really have. It's the first time for both of us to do anything like this. And so, you know, he's an experienced shooter, and I'm an experienced shooter, but um, you know, we're kind of we're kind of the new guys we're the amateurs at this match for sure. So I don't really have any grand expectations other than I just want to experience it and go have some fun, you know, and learn a whole bunch. And then, you know, maybe next year I'll try to be competitive, but this year I'm just, I'm just going, I'm going to try to have fun and hopefully some learning will occur. Um, You know, I'm I'm expecting to learn a lot about just time management uh, on the clock there with, you know, how best to use gear and be efficient with everything uh, communicating with a partner, uh, that'll be a big part of this, you know, what we say and how we say it and how we, you know, identify where the targets are located, you know, whether we just, <clears throat> you know, use a clock angle or something and have zones out across, you know, I don't know how, we, how we're how we really gonna do that or whether we just, just be like, hey, you see that big, huge rock pile out in the middle of our zone, go to your three o'clock from that rock pile you know, and you'll find the target there or something that's we're just gonna have to figure it out. Um, you know, the other kind of unknown is gonna be the wind calls in that terrain. Now I I did take a um a competition dynamics team safari preparation training course back in the spring at Blue Steel. And it was, you know, specifically for getting trained up for this type of match. And it was very helpful. Brian Whalen, um is the instructor there. And it happens, you know, on the actual courses that are going to be used for the match. Obviously they'll change the targets around on some of them and things like that, but I got a taste of it. And, you know, the very first, <laughs> the very first time that I, I got put on the clock on a stage, I timed out and he let me finish of course. And I think it, you know, he gave us six minutes or something like that. And I think it took me nine minutes to finish and I, I didn't even get all my hits. So, you know, but to his credit, by the end of the class, you know, I was finishing stages, not all of them, but I was finishing most of the stages under time. And I was getting, you know, 75, 70, 75% impacts, something like that. Um, and was starting to understand the wind a little bit. So, you know, I just think the wind is going to be a big thing because that terrain out there, it's not just one little valley. It's, it's, its you got a big valley here and then you got a small valley over there that's affecting your wind. And there's a couple of hills between here and your target that are also bumping your wind up. And then your target is on the side of a hill over there. And when the wind blows up that, it goes at a weird angle and it increases the speed of the wind and blah, 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 blah. There's just so many different variables for wind out there. Um, it really, it helps you understand that in, in field shooting conditions like that, when it comes to like a real life hunting type situation, this is why you rarely take shots on large game animals or anything like that in a hunting situation at true long ranges, like past 600 yards, because there's just too many variables that could cause you to miss and wound your animal or not get a good hit or whatever. And so, Yeah. Anyway, there's that. Um, I think that's all I got for today, guys. The next podcast you hear might be from the match. I might go after the second day. My partner and I will maybe do the podcast in the uh, hotel room and bring that episode to you next. That's my hope. We'll see. Guys, thanks for listening. Make sure you um, you hit that follow button and um, tell some people about the podcast, if you would, please. I'll keep trying to be more consistent. I know it was probably about three or four weeks between the last one and this one. That's uncommon. Usually I'm a week, week and a half between episodes. Uh, again, just getting ready for this match and just busyness. Um, so anyway, thanks for listening and uh, stay tuned for another episode from Precision Rifle Network.